Good evening, everyone. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. <laughs> I uh, I had a procedure earlier in the week, and my throat is still a little uh, sore. So if I sound a little hoarse or a little weird, that's why. Um, it wasn't a big deal. It was just a test um, to see, you know, some stuff, and literally to see some stuff. And uh, everything is fine. I'm just got a little sore muscle in my throat, and my throat is really kind of raw. Um, but um, I'm dealing with it. I just I might sound a little weird. That's all. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, <clears throat> and I might do that a lot too because I noticed that um, I have to clear my throat a lot. And I don't know why. Um, so, anyways, I guess it's because that rawness is just a little rub. Anyway, um, tonight's show is about um, writing relationships with other writers and with readers, and um, just talking about. Uh, I guess how to be a good beta and how to know when you're a terrible one. And um, I am very lucky to have some very good betas. I have great betas, um, but that wasn't always the case. I have had terrible relationships with writers, and um, I've had relationships that uh, if – Okay, say for instance, if I put that beta in the term of, say, a spouse, I would have said that I was in a domestically abusive situation or abusive domestic situation. Um, because this person, anyway, uh, if you put it in the right context, a beta can be almost more damaging to you than a, and a sexual partner. Because, especially when you're a writer, if they can erode your self-esteem in a way that you're not even aware that's happening, and hopefully they aren't either. You know, so we're going to talk about that, and Julie's joining me because we've been talking about this off and on all week, um, and I thought it would be a good show, and uh, she agreed to do it with me, and we're going to be talking about that. So I'm going to put Julie on the air, and um, we're going to start with... Um, uh, betas and and how uh, that it process has impacted us both. Okay. Hello, Julie. Howdy. How are you? I'm working on brain freeze. <laughs> I have gelato. Ice cream or milkshake? A gelato. Gelato. Yeah. I buy that Briar's gelato. Um, they have a tiramisu one. Ooh. Mm. It is good stuff. It is really this one- good. This one has big chunks of patriotism in it. <laughs> Cheesecake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds really good. That sounds really... <laughs> I watched a video on how to make strawberry uh, cheesecake. Uh, No-bake strawberry cheesecake on YouTube today. It looks so good when she... Oh, when she got done, that Irish lady, I felt... I kind of fell in love with her briefly. <laughs> <laughs> she used fresh strawberries. Huh? Oh, it was amazing. I would love it. Some of these ladies who make a book cook on YouTube, I'm like, man, if you would cook for me, I would, like, love you forever. <laughs> be my favorite person. Can you go loot my house? <laughs> I'd, be not, I'd, I'd be, like, 500 pounds, but can you come live at my house? <laughs> Anyways, we're going to talk about betas and the trust fall. And what I mean by that is that when you hand your work over to someone, um, you're setting yourself up 
for what could be a really good experience, but what also has the potential to be an extremely damaging experience. And I've I've talked to writers who have gone into a beta relationship or a beta experience super excited about their work and come out the other side of it convinced they're the worst writer ever and they'll never write again. It's a terrible, terrible power that you have when somebody lets you into their creative process and when you abuse it it can be so damaging so damaging I almost shelved one of my works um, entirely because of the first beta I had on it and I'm like, it wasn't like her critique was attacking the plot she was attacking everything about the structure of it the pacing was bad the character development was poor um, you know, just everything was wrong with this story, according to her, that was that was structural element and style element. She wasn't critiquing plot choices or it was, you know, it was it was lack of structure, lack of focus, lack of proper um, plot development. I mean, it's just on and on and on and on and on. And I was just like, whoa. And because she had the right vernacular, it had a, an air of legitimacy to it. Yeah. I was thinking the same. I was thinking that when you were saying it, it's because um, they pick up people pick up terms and um, like characterization and, and structure and your pacing and um, they sound like they're qualified to give you critique and they're not qualified to give you critique. And this is one reason why I don't accept critique from readers on my site people think I'm thin-skinned I'm not I just like to keep my craft pure and I don't take the risk of involving somebody in my work who I know nothing about it's just you know it's very dangerous put yourself through that Right. It's I mean, very dangerous. Yeah, so it's just... <laughs> you try... The thing is, when you get... I don't think people realize, even if you're not thin-skinned, when... Especially when people are reading wrong things into your work, and by wrong I mean what, not at all what you intended, when you're hearing a bunch of that... Um, it's, it can actually start... It's not. It's not a matter of like you... Um, it starts to make you question what you wrote. Like, where does this coming from? And, you know, then you kind of have to take a step back and go, okay, like 90% of people got what I was doing, and this 10% who are being very loud uh, saw something else entirely, but clearly that's their distorted lens and it's not what I wrote. Um, but that can be a little bit difficult when you're right in the thick of it, you know? It. You talk about the trust fall, and and I, and I mean that in a, in a very literal way. You know, they have those stupid management uh, exercises where you have to learn to trust your coworkers, and or like they used to do it in couples therapy, and you have to fall and and hope your partner will catch you. It's um, terrible. It's a terrible exercise. Number one, um, it's it opens you up, and it's very it, it causes 
a uncomfortable level of vulnerability among people, especially when it comes to coworkers, where there's no intimacy there to begin with. And that's not how you build it. No. And also because me, I would say the majority of my coworkers, I never touched outside of a handshake upon initial meeting, if that. Right. And all of a sudden you want me to be in their arms? That's creepy as fuck. No. Not doing it. <laughs> That's not a trust exercise. That's a violation of my space. But it's 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 true, and that's what happens in a beta relationship is that, you know, people who don't write don't really understand how intimate and personal writing is. And when I take a piece of my work and I give it to another person and say, hey, tell me what you think. It's an invitation into a part of me that a lot of people don't have access to. Which is also why I find unsolicited beta so offensive. Because you weren't invited into that level of my work, and how dare you assume you have the right. Mm -hmm. Because writing is extremely personal. And it's just, it's like... A person who offers unsolicited critique is no better than a person who takes pictures of women's panties under their skirt on the bus with a selfie stick. And I mean that. (laughs) So if you do that, you're invading a very – it's just invasive and offensive. And um, even if a writer never says it directly to your face, they're thinking it. Unless they're asking you point blank on their story to give you feedback, they don't want it. And I would caution writers about one phrase that is very, very dangerous. When you're posting your work, if you post, however, whether it's a finished work or a whip, but definitely if it's a whip, do not ever use this phrase, tell me what you think. No, because in your head, you're probably, you're probably saying, tell me if you like it, tell me what you like. That's probably your intention, but you just opened yourself up for them to tell you what they thought. <laughs> and really you don't want to know what's want. in those asshole's heads. You don't really mm-hmm. want to know um, because they're going to infer things about your work um, that – they're going to get things out of your work you you never intended. One of the worst things that I had um, experienced when um, when it comes to Ties That Bind, and I did get a lot of grief for Ties That Bind, not as much as Zant Scott when she posted um, uh, the first time she did to be at, on, on the BDSM world in Stargate. I think she kind of broke the, the barrier on that, so I didn't suffer a lot of what she did in relate. You know, in relation to just outright abuse for writing BDSM at all, whether I got it wrong or right, it, it wasn't even about that. It was the fact that I was writing BDSM. Um, but one of the most interesting and kind of horrific comments I ever got from Ties That Bind was that someone told me I should put a warning for politics on it because it had politics and I should warn for um sexual slavery and this was the same person and she also there is a scene where 
Miko and Rodney are talking, and she's asked him why he hasn't asked her about going to Atlantis. And he's told her the truth, that he didn't feel like um, he could offer her enough protection. Um, but because he was going to be in a precarious situation himself. He did, he really didn't know John very well. And um, he was just, you know, concerned about her as who she is and her friend and as her friend and also acknowledging that she was a very high ranking submissive in the house, in, in the Lotus house. Um, and this particular reader who wanted me to warn for politics um, took great exception to the fact that I said in the thick that Miko couldn't go to Atlantis because she wasn't collared. That's not what I said at all. That particular situation was unique to Rodney because of Carter. Nothing to do with anything else. There are plenty of uncollared submissives on Atlantis. Um, and she misinterpreted what I said and then took great offense at it. And she called me... What did she call me? She wasn't the one who called me a misogynist, but I've had, but I've had that happen too. Um, which I took great offense to because that's just like the exact opposite of who and what I am. Mm-hmm. Of all things. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to accuse me of misandry, you might get close lately. <laughs> Maybe even being a misanthrope, but not misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, so you can't control, and me and Jill talked about this earlier, is that you cannot control people's perceptions of your work. They're going to get things out of your work that you did not write and you did not intend. So you don't want to open yourself up by what she said. Don't ask them what they think, really. I see that on so many fics where at the end of a chapter people go, well, this is my latest update, tell me what you think. And I just cringe no, every time no, I see honey. it because it's <laughs> like, please. please. And, you know, I, I would be breaking my own rule to tell the author, don't tell people to tell them what you think because they will. I mean, you give them permission so you don't get to be butthurt. In a way, you don't get to be butthurt when they tell you what they think. And it's terrible. It's terrible what they think. Um, Mm -hmm. And there is a fine line, and I am kind of known in fandom for being a bitch. I don't have a problem with that particular label. Uh, I try to be very forthright and very honest in my dealings with other people, with the exception of the fact that, you know, I don't share my personal details. Um or my professional details, that's just none of your business, uh, frankly. Uh, so my real name is none of your business. <laughs> Julie's real had... name is none of your business. <laughs> you know, so that's not part of the dishonesty that um, that can take place in a relationship between a, a writer and a beta. But what does happen is you get people who are on, um, there are like three or four different kinds of people who beta, there's one who wants to read your work before everybody else. And they're not particularly helpful. They try, sort of, but they're not helpful at all. They don't know anything about the process. They don't know anything about craft. Um, they might catch your typos. Maybe. <laughs> 
maybe, but not all of them. Um, then there is the frustrated wannabe writer. They can't write. They have a whole bunch of ideas they want to press on you and make you write. So they beta and try to insert their agenda into every single thing you write. Because they can't write themselves. Frustrating. Right? Then there's the third kind of beta who is very enthusiastic about you. She's a fan. She wants to help you in any way she can. He or she, um, they um, they offer a reader's perspective, which is great, and they they catch your typos, and they don't know a whole lot about craft, but they but they work their ass off. They try really hard. They they applaud and they cheerlead you, and they're and they're a fun beta to have. They're someone who you get a good read of things that are missing. They might not know why they're missing. They might not be able to tell you what craft issue you're having, but they can tell you, they can ask you questions like, hey, well, what happens here? I don't, I'm missing something. And those are really good betas to have. And then the fourth kind of beta is another writer who has very good craft and who, depending on their personality, can be someone who's very beneficial in your life as a writer, or they can tear you to pieces. Mhm. I've and, had way too many of those that just and they're I, almost and as bad as the first one. Mhm. <laughs> because I think one of the, one of the things I tell people who beta is the most important. If the most important thing I could tell you as a beta, the most important advice I could give you is you cannot be emotionally attached to your own opinion when you're betaing for somebody else. It's their story. It's their ultimate decision, and if they disagree with you, you can't be butthurt about it. <laughs> so if you say this is a bad thing here or whatever, it, yeah, you did your job pointing it out. The author doesn't agree with you. That's the way it goes. I deliberately put grammar errors in dialogue. I had a beta who couldn't deal with it. <laughs> Could not deal with the fact that I would ignore her grammar error suggestions and dialogue I couldn't work with her because she was so butthurt about um, the fact that I was ignoring yes she was right she was absolutely right that it was a grammar error but people don't speak with perfect grammar that's a deliberate part of my process is to change the rhythm and flow of different characters dialogue and how they speak and when you correct it everybody sounds the same and yeah, I yeah. tried explaining that to her, and she couldn't deal. She could not deal. That's the um, grammar Nazi right there, who is not someone you want to beta for you, to be perfectly frank. You don't want a grammar yeah. Nazi for a beta. You want a grammar Nazi for an editor, mm-hmm. but not for a beta, and most certainly not for an alpha reader. Absolutely not. But you just when you're betaing, you have if you want to be a beta, and that's something you want to do. And actually, even if you want to alpha read for somebody, you have to be able to divorce yourself from your attachment to your own opinion, because your opinion is being solicited, but it may wind up being ignored. And sometimes I even put in a caveat. Sometimes when I've gotten a lot of advice from betas that I decided I didn't want to go with, 
I will actually say that I ignored good beta advice in this story. So it's not their fault if you find a problem within. But I still don't want to hear about it. Um, but, you know, when I beta, um, I, I can beta at, like, from just correcting, from just literally just doing, like, a line edit to actually doing more like an alpha read, I tend to do more of the line editing because once you start getting into opinions about the flow is here weird or this is phrased awkwardly or that's kind of clunky or the pace is off here, people can get really uptight. So as an author, you have to, as a, for starters, as a beta, you have to know what you're willing to do. But as an author, you have to be really clear about what it is you want. If you ask somebody for an alpha beta read and they give you the full shebang and you just can't deal, well, you needed to set your expectations a little clearer. Although I have I have worked with betas who are completely inflexible about what they're willing to do. I had one lady offered a beta for me and she betas quite a lot. Apparently, she's quite good, but she, when discussing, she told me that she's not willing to dial back. Um, that she's considered a harsh beta and that she believes she's right and that uh, all the time and that she's not willing to change what she does. Um, and uh, I was like, well, I'm just not willing to work with somebody who's that inflexible because there's some things I don't want beta feedback about. So, you know, I have my, you know, I've worked on my self-awareness and uh, she needs to Work on hers. I think I'll probably need to define the difference between an alpha and a beta, but I'm having a hard time putting it into words. For me, alpha readers, um, I don't expect an alpha reader to do a single solitary correction um, in terms of like a comma or nothing. I don't, I don't expect that from an alpha reader. I don't even expect them to say, you know, I, I expect a macro view from an alpha reader of this is really good or this was really bad or I stumbled here or I lost the pace or I got confused. Um, your characterization was really good. It felt a little bit weird in a couple of areas. I expect really high-level macro development comments from an alpha reader. Am I on track? So, Does this so make I'm sense? So I'm kind of your alpha reader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of times I've been Julie's alpha reader. <laughs> like, is this crazy or what? Because <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you know, I it's actually I find good alpha readers to be actually much harder to find than good beta readers because it's very hard for people to get into that alpha mindset of the macro story issues and not the line item issues. One one piece of advice I would give somebody who um who's offering to be a beta or an alpha reader for um a writer um is to recognize that number one you're not their critique partner. And that is an entirely different relationship. Um and also you need to ask them what do you want from me? What do I need to bring to your project? Do you need a beta? Do you need someone to go through um, and find what I can find of your grammar, you know, that kind of thing? Or do you need an alpha reading? Do you need someone to look over your plot, over your characters, tell you where your problems are? But if you don't know what 
the writer is expecting from you, you're not going to be able to deliver it, and it can cause um, stress and even hurt feelings. Okay. And you can you can also devastate a writer without even trying. Even when you're not trying to be an asshole, because I've done it, and I didn't do it on purpose. Um, I have never, ever gone into a critique, beta, or alpha situation with another writer intending on hurting them, but I've done it. Um, because I wasn't paying attention to their needs as a writer. So as a, yeah, because I learned, I learned better. Um, I've been doing it for a very long time. Um, so now, you know, I, if I don't know what you expect from me, I'm going to ask you, well, what do you want? And that is not an invitation, by the way, for you guys to email me and ask me to beta for you. I'm sorry. I'm a busy person and my plate is full. <laughs> if I volunteer, that's an entirely different situation. But please don't email me and ask me for that. I'll have to tell you no, and that'll hurt your feelings. <laughs> I think that one of the um, communication is really critical in in the relationship, um, and it's surprisingly difficult to get that communication. It, it can take a long time. I mean, I would say when I do one-off beta with somebody, it's rare that communication is um, flows well the first time out because you're kind of tiptoeing around each other's feelings. So it really does help if you have that conversation up front about exactly what the expectations are and who's going to do what. Um, and if you don't want someone poking at your plot, be really clear about that. I don't want you poking at my plot. Uh, I typically don't like beta readers to poke at my plot or my characterization, but I like my alpha readers to do it. Unless there's a glaring plot hole or a glaring inconsistency or something like that. But I actually consider that a consistency issue and not... Um, a plot issue, but yeah, there's a, there's a big difference, and a lot of times um, I would trust people with a beta that I would not trust with an alpha because when you um, when you open yourself up to an alpha reader, um, you're you're giving them a lot of power. A lot of power. Um, alpha readers over you over your story. I go places with alpha readers that I don't go with beta readers. Um, now, there's some people who do both, but with an alpha reader, I am saying I'm giving you permission to tell me what's wrong, you know, or what's right, or what worked, or what didn't. Was your suspension of disbelief, you know, there? Were you thrown out of the story for any reason? Um, what does this make you feel? And, you know, did it make you sad? Did it make you... There's all of these different aspects of what you can, could get from an alpha read that can, can, can impact your own view of what you're writing. Which is why when I'm doing it, I like to phrase it as questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Instead of like... Well, sometimes if you make direct statements, it starts to sound like accusations. So in, when I'm... When I'm doing the the big read um for a structure character 
pace and all that, I'll ask questions instead because that way the the writer can say yes or no and we can move on. You know, that's what I intended. Great. Next issue. <laughs> you know, and that way you're not getting into a situation where your adversaries, because that isn't the point of an alpha reader. Um, it's not the point of a beta reader either. And I think often if you have a question, um, ask a question instead of um, asking questions are, are less offensive and easier for um, writers who are not as secure in their craft to, to, to work with. And right, it doesn't sound like criticism that way. Um, yeah. And a lot of writers can't handle that. Now, when my editor tells me, oh, this sucks, you need to fix this, I don't get mad or cry. I used to. I grew up. Granted, I was in my 30s the last time I cried over an edit, but <laughs> I still grew up eventually. <laughs> so I'll give you guys a, a concrete example of what can come out of an alpha read. So... I'm working on a project that has massive amount of world building. Um, and actually, the amount of world building got to be kind of overwhelming to the point that I kind of hit the wall with it. So that's when Kira volunteered to help me with uh, assessing it. And one of the comments she made was, you didn't disclose a pairing, but did you notice that the chemistry between Gibbs and Tony is, like, really hot? And I was like, <laughs> what? Huh? Oh, my God. I felt caught like the whole story. (laughs) I was like, huh? And it wasn't, you know, it was a surprise to me because I hadn't intended it. Um, But it was a really good thing to know. So this is a really beneficial thing to come out of that because then I had, I mean, I went back and reread it without, because authors can get what I call intention blindness. You intend something, so what you were reading into it is what you intended. And everybody else reads it and goes, whoa, I got something else entirely. (laughs) This is a good perspective because um, what can happen is, is that if you've got that going on in your story and you didn't intend on it, your readers can feel like they've been baited and switched. Mm Mm-hmm. Like they've been led down this rose path to something they're going to really enjoy. And then you flip a switch on them and it doesn't happen. And that can get really like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so I took off the intention blinders and I reread my own story. And I went, whoa, they're kind of all over each other. What the hell? <laughs> and I kind of forgot to figure out kind of how this happened. I Because I was working on multiple projects at one time and like, all of them but this one had a romantic pairing in them, and, and like two of them were Gibbs and Tony stories. And, and I think it just kind of all bled together in terms of how I was writing them interacting. And so I was like, well, I still had a critical choice to make at that point because Kira was completely right that this chemistry was just bleeding all over the story. <laughs> and uh, I need I like, a cigarette, you guys, and I don't even smoke. <laughs> I think the line that you, just what you said was it gives in Tony's face like he owns it. And I'm actually going to have Callan observe observe that in those little words. He, Gibbs was totally in Tony's face like he owned it. Yeah, I mean, like, constantly. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it's a great story. You guys are really going to fucking love it when you see it. And, yes, that was a thick brag. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming in August. 
Um, but so I went back and I re-read re- re- it, and I had to make a critical decision. And this is what is beneficial. This is the great thing about an alpha read is you you can you have these moments where you have critical decisions that make that you wouldn't have even known about if you hadn't had this really beneficial insight. And I had to make the decision, do I want to recraft the first 35K of the story so that I take that chemistry out, or do I want to just replot the rest of the story to include this pairing? I will admit that I decided not to rework the first 35K <laughs> and just deal with the pairing. <laughs> because, um, one, I like the story the way it is, and two, Path of Least Resistance. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. But, um, yeah. So. That's, the alpha reader, that's the alpha reader relationship, the alpha reader benefit. And, you know, I find especially in stories where I am doing a lot of world building, I need the most alpha help because I don't always – I don't – and this is one of the things you also want to know what your alpha reader's strengths are because I often don't think around all the corners, so I'll miss a logical conclusion. I'm getting better about this than I used to be or a logical consequence, and that's something Kira excels at. Well, thank you. I wouldn't put that on my high points. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't always see your high points. You don't always see your high points. um, Because um, my biggest, um, I probably uh, beta moment came in Lantian Legacy when I first put Lantian Legacy into beta. Um, The gist of what I got back from Chris and Lady Holder was that um, your idea is great, but your execution sucks. You need to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> not, not neither one of them said that to me. They are great betas, but they had like there were like uh, upwards of four hundred comments from the two of them on that first beta. Um, and it was all it was. I want to know more. I want to know more. What happened here? What's this mean? And that's how. Um, that birthed Theseus, uh, because originally Allie wasn't um, – Allie was just Allie. She she was just the AI. And then the more I delved into um, their questions and I kind of let my you know brain just kind of move around all these concepts, um, Theseus was born. Um, and um, then I had to figure out what I wanted to do with Allie and how that put in and how that worked. And it really just – it really opened me up. But um, it wouldn't have opened me up if I didn't trust Chris and Lady Holder a lot with my work. Um, because if I didn't trust them, I wouldn't have taken their beta in that particular way. I would have taken it in a very different way, and Lantini Legacy would have never been finished. Now... This also happened in book two, which fucked me up because I didn't want to write the book two that they wanted. <laughs> I wrote a book two that I wanted, and they wanted something. They wanted to know the in between. Now they read the book two that I had, and they were like, "Well, shit, isn't this like book three? Isn't there a book in the middle?" And um, I was like, "Okay, I'll 
No, there's no book in the middle. I tried for two years to write the book in the middle. There's no book in the middle of book one and book two of Landian Legacy. And I'll be damned if there wasn't a commenter on my site who asked me, well, what, what happened in between? I double birded my monitor. <laughs> I don't know what happened in the middle. That's why there isn't a middle book. <laughs> there just isn't. There never will be. <sighs> so. So, Alpha Reed relationship, very, very helpful. And some people combine Alpha and Beta. Um, but if you don't have somebody who can do both, separate them. And then there's a third. Uh, there's kind of a there's kind of another tier to this as well, which I don't. This is the person that you brainstorm ideas with, who kind of alpha reads your ideas and not your product, not the finished product. Um, the person who tells you that doesn't work, or asks you questions, or prompts you through thinking things through, or you know you p- give them somebody a plot idea and they go, well that doesn't make sense from this perspective. Are you thinking about these angles? I mean that's a completely different relationship, and that actually to me is the relationship that requires the most trust because you're putting everything out there in its formative stage when the wrong comment can crush it. And Devastatingly, I think, though. I like think, a and the funny. <laughs> And the funny thing about this is I see people do this a lot in what I would call an indiscriminate way. Um, They will kind of group think with people, um, sometimes publicly, about what they're doing and get lots of opinions and accept with some basically from people that they haven't got this basis of trust with. And it it can I've seen people get thrown off of the project that they wanted to work on because they got too much conflicting input. And also what you get I talked to somebody I actually talked to three people about this lately, is somebody who was in that they were in that process with somebody who was bullying them into writing what they wanted. I just had like a spontaneous aneurysm. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a spontaneous combustion in my brain. Oh my god! <sighs> and if you are if you are in that process, whether you're, it, it, I typically find it works best with writers doing this together. But every once in a while, you, um, you know, get get into a relationship with somebody who's either an aspiring writer or who's just really good at brainstorming. It was very creative, uh, and it. And and that it really works to kind of brainstorm ideas with them, but be careful about it. You know, I would really caution you to be careful about taking because you you've got these these these. Sometimes some of them are more fleshed out than others, but I mean these are these are this is like still in the womb kind of ideas. It's not even a baby yet, and you are going okay. Is this going to work? And people can just you know the wrong comment or somebody pushing their agenda, um, you know, you're talking about a story about uh, Sirius raising Harry, and then the next thing you know, they've got Harry being raised by Tony Stark in California, and you're like, how'd that happen? That's not what I'm wanting. That wasn't what I was talking about. Um. One of the reasons why, and there are several reasons why I don't allow questions on RT, and this is actually your talk about um, baby fix 
um, is one of them because these are rough drafts. What you see on RT is literally a rough draft. Um, some people don't even spell check. I see you not spell checking. <laughs> I'm not judging you though, because sometimes I don't either. <laughs> but that's the thing about RT is that these are very raw fix and no writer. I mean, not even a writer who has 20 or 30 years of experience um, can invest themselves in a rough draft writing challenge and respond to questions without that interfering with their process, even if they don't admit it. It's going to interfere. It's going to alter what they're writing. It's going to alter how they feel about what they're writing, which is why there is no critique on rough trade, why there are no questions allowed. Um, A lot of readers find it very restricting and don't like it when I point out to them that rough trade isn't for them. They're just guests. (laughs) Because, come on. You know, it's... (laughs) I want you know, to those people who say that it's restricting to have to limit what you say. I mean, this is what it's like. You have just finished maybe, depending upon how your day goes, but let's say, so this is sometimes an average day for me in rough trade. I'll spend four hours, five hours, you know, on a longer post, five hours is probably what happens, glued to my computer like sometimes ripping my guts out to get a scene done. Sometimes it's laborious in terms of having to do research at the same time that I'm writing. But whatever it is, this is a, this is something that I have pulled out of my heart, my soul, my guts. This is me raw. And I finish, I write the last word of a post, and I don't pause. I go to rough trade, I craft the post, I put it up. It goes just like that, straight from my heart onto rough trade. And you feel naked. And then people want to comment, critique, poke, speculate about what you just did, and it's still in its emotional state for you, right? Yeah. And then they're complaining about being restricted. I'm sorry. I don't care about your restrictions. You you try doing this. You do this and then tell me how you feel about reader restriction. Well, because it is. I mean, writing itself is a very intimate process. And I actually used to call the challenge Naked Nano um, because it's a very exposing um, environment, rough trade. And that's one reason why it's members only. Um, that's reasons why I don't allow critique or or, or questions or comments that are leading, um, comments that are designed either by accident or on purpose to engage the reader um, or the writer. Because um, okay, Julie just described her writing process, and mine's pretty similar to that during rough trade, five six hours, depending on how long my post is, and I'm not going to post um, anything under two or three K if I can help it um, during rough trade. Uh, But think about the writer who works all day, who spends seven, eight, 10 hours from home. They've worked. They come home. They hammer out their 2000. 
words or their 1,000 words and they put it up on rough trades and they go to bed. The last thing I want to do is for them to wake up in the morning with a bunch of questions. They don't have time for that shit. They got a job and they're doing the trade and they got to eat and maybe they have kids or they have fur kids and they don't have time for your bullshit and your entitlement. And that's honestly true even out of rough trade. A lot of fan fiction writers produce a great deal of material for free around their jobs, around their kids, around their pets, around their parents, around just uh, just around all of this stuff. And for you to assume that you have the right to insert yourself and your agenda into their writing um, is a huge amount of, enti- of entitlement, and it's disgusting. Check yourself, people. Really, do because it's very. Uh, it's it's actually I find it to be probably one of the best writing experiences I've ever had. Is I don't know. There's something about there's something very liberating about it going straight from your soul to the out there like that. Um, that working without a safety net. There's something that's very. Um, profound about it and I wouldn't change it for the world despite uh, some 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 occasional meltdowns I've had um, with readers over rough trade um, but the question thing is it is it is big it is distracting because whether you're intending to address that point later or the person's just being impatient or they're reading something into your work that you don't intend um, and you know, people have clever ways of phrasing questions that aren't questions. <laughs> they phrase it. They phrase it as a. They phrase something that's not a question, but it's clearly a question. And we usually catch those. It's like they're obviously asking a question in a way that's not phrased like a question. Um, but you know, we we don't always catch them, and it's distracting. It is distracting. As much as it's nice to wake up in the morning, um, to. Uh, you know, 10 comments from people telling you how much they love what you wrote, and that is wonderful, and it feels really good. It can be a real downer to wake up to five people who completely misinterpreted what you wrote. <laughs> You're like, ah. the only thing worse, the only thing worse is um, putting out 50 or 60K, and the third or fourth comment you get is, oh, great, can I have some more? Yeah, it's like, oh, kiss my ass. Yeah, Although because that really? wasn't, I just pulled those shit, I just pulled that shit right out of my ass. Yes, and it didn't take me, I don't know, 30 fucking hours to create it, and 20 hours of beta between me and my two betas. It didn't, it didn't take all that much time. So you just go ahead and shit all over the 50 hours of work it took to put this project together and ask me for more. Thank you. I'm not bitter. <laughs> no. It doesn't matter how much it is. One of my favorite comments is the person who told me, favorite in a, I mean that in a very um, caustic kind of way, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of sarcasm in that, is that is not to torment them um, by making them, to please publish faster or something like that. And this was chapter 30 of 39 of emergence, which is 210,000 words, and they're 5,000 words a chapter. So, you know, you can do the math. There's a lot of story, and it was going up four chapters a day. 
So I was posting 20,000 words a day, basically. A couple days it was a little less than that. But basically 20,000 words a day. And I was being told to post faster. Did you tell them to kiss my ass? Because you had every, (laughs) you have all the permission to do so. (laughs) It's just tragic. But, you know, lately the other thing that has been driving me up the wall, and it's been a trend, it's been it's never happened to me before 2016. Whoever started, I would just sort of like to set you on fire, um, <laughs> is calling anything, anything and everything of any length, a snippet. I want to stab people. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my fucking the first, God. The first time it happened to me this year, I had posted 42,000 words, and someone said, thank you for this little snippet. My unimpressed face was stuck for the rest of the fucking day. (laughs) And it doesn't matter. You know, 5,000 words even isn't a snippet. I mean, come on. A snippet is a little preview, a short preview of something else. Short being the operative word. I hate when somebody calls my novel a chapter. <laughs> yes. Someone called No Enemy Within, which is the first book in um, Lanting Legacy, a chapter. This was a great chapter. I can't wait for more. Fuck you. Just <laughs> fuck you. A book is it, made of chapters. Anyway. It is a, it is a, it to me it feels like a manipulative backhanded way of saying I want more without being sounding like an entitled ass. So instead you sound like it's an insensitive It's very minimalizing. Ass. They're minimalizing it is what definitely you've minimalizing. Done. And it's um but we can spend 6 years bitching about readers. <laughs> <laughs> Good. But don't call any it isn't I don't care if it is a snippet. Don't call it a snippet. I'm like I'm like this has become a taboo word. It's like I wanna like ban it from every site, put it on the ban list of every site I have any control over. Can't say snippet. <laughs> snippet is now banned on Rough Trade just for Jilly's peace of mind. <laughs> Along with the question mark and more. Although we do have to keep fishing out those of you who have more in your username. Your username. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I, there was one I, I was, I was completely blind. I, I kept looking at this comment, going, "Why is it in the trash? It must be the word more. I can't see it. It's not in their username. It's not in the comment. What is it? What is it?" And I was just missing the fact that they had referenced the city Baltimore, and I couldn't <laughs> see the word. <laughs> More because it was in another word. It, it was, was in Baltimore. Longest, I just stared at it for the longest time. Probably I searched for the word more, and then I just kind of, you know, hit, you know, face palmed and went on. Um, but okay, so back to the trust fall. Make sure you actually trust before you fall. Right. <laughs> the person has to actually be there, and you have some confidence that they can catch you. And if you know you don't have a thick skin, if you know this, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. There's nothing wrong with being sensitive about critique. And if that's you, you know, I'm, a, I'm just, this is just my advice, is you're going to have to work a little bit harder to establish those trust relationships before you expose yourself. That sounded kind of perverted. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but true across the board. Yeah. Don't show anybody your pink parts until you trust them. That's right. 
So try to, if you know this about yourself, accommodate it. Take a little bit longer to build those relationships. Um, and by the way, nothing says you have to have a beta. Nothing says you have to have an alpha. Nothing says you have to do any of these things. It's a matter of if you want them, this is just strategies for how to go about it. I admit that I don't I, – I, the funny thing is I, I probably some, – some stories I feel like I could get away with not having them baited, but it is as much a um, – and I know there would be minor typos and stuff that would slip through. Uh, but it's as much a, you know, uh, that's as much dealing with my own anal retentiveness as it is trying to make a better product, you know. Um, and it's just part of my process to go through that and try to catch stuff. But it isn't strictly necessary. And anybody who, and anybody who shoots at you and shoots back at you and says, um, this is a great story, but you need to get a beta, Send them the link to the old lady on Kira's site giving them screen the bird because, you know, that's that's been unwa- that's an unwanted critique and they can just go fuck themselves. In fact, the reason I have a beta to begin with is because someone told me that shit. Um, <laughs> on fanfiction.net, of all places. The only thing worse is if somebody had told you on Wattpad that you need a... <laughs> I didn't know what a beta was. I really didn't, and I'm just gonna say it before. Um, but uh, trust is a huge, trust and communication are huge parts of the beta alpha relationship. Um, and it's important to um, acknowledge whether or not uh, you have the ability to trust somebody with that. And if you don't, then don't have a beta and put on it no beta desired. And fuck you if you don't like it. <laughs> Tag it, go fuck yourself, and move on. <laughs> oh, no, mm-hmm. because these bitches are reading this shit for free. And don't be afraid to remind them of that. You are entertaining them for free. You don't owe them shit. I'm just saying. You know, anybody, anything. So let's talk about brainstorming. Brainstorming. Uh, I love brainstorming. And with the wrong person, it's the most horrible thing in the world. (laughs) It can be like getting staked and you're a vampire. (laughs) You got staked and you've been left out in the sun. (laughs) It's like, it's like, and actually, the problem is, and then you're the. You, I'm usually in the mindset when that happens of like, I hope the sun rises soon. <laughs> Take this idea away. <laughs> I'm ready to die. <laughs> and, I have, you know, I've, I've, I've had some interesting experiences with brainstorming because not all, but a, a lot of my ideas are a little strange on paper. Um. So, like, I say them, and people a lot of times kind of do the head tilt thing, and they're like, what? And it's like, just go with it. <laughs> just, 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 take, just take a leap of faith past the weird and work with me on the thing. Um, you know, the first time I mentioned I was writing um, Tony and Bruce Banner, I'm pretty sure, like, everybody I've mentioned that to in that one particular conversation, I, I can almost hear the head tilts. Like, what? <laughs> You're going to do, huh? 
Mm-hmm. But um, it worked out. It's like it was my favorite story of that set. It really it was, was my, my favorite story. Yeah. And I understand the head tilt sometimes, um, but uh, I, I, I get it. But it's one of those things of like you got to work with people because I know that sometimes I, you know, stick put ideas out there that are going to make people kind of go what. Um, that I want to work with people that can get past the head tilt and not just focus on what they think of as being um, its implausibility. So you can't brainstorm people who are stuck, who get stuck on things, who get stuck in their opinion. Um, and who come into a, um, a session, if you want to call it a session, um, with an agenda. Just like as a beta or an alpha, um, you need to leave your agenda at the door. Because what you specifically want for a story may or may not work for the writer. And you really, really, if you take nothing else away from this particular podcast, take this. You don't have the right to impress upon a writer your needs, wants, and desires. Whether you are a beta an alpha, or you're just part of a brainstorming. If a writer says, no, that doesn't work for me, you drop it, pick up the next thing. It's that simple. But continuing to hammer a point at a writer after they've said no is not only damaging your relationship with that writer it's um interfering with the entire process and they won't trust you <clears throat> ever so if you've been if you if you've been in a brainstorming relationship with an author who suddenly won't talk to you about what they're writing um it could be that could be a lot of things, but one possible thing is that you push too hard your own agenda, and they got freaked out because it's it's very difficult um, to to be to put an idea out there and have somebody and actually because I mentioned all your reasons, one of the first people I talked to about that story tried to get me to change the pairing, hard tried to get me to change the pairing, and. Uh, I, I I really shut down about it. I was like, I don't understand why you... The, the, the crux of this story is making this pairing work. Um, I don't want to put him with Tony Stark. For starters, I would I don't know that I could... You know, I was... I personally... The whole... Um, Tony Tony thing... Um, would be very difficult for me to write. I admire somebody who can do two characters with the exact same name. I would find it very difficult, which is why, in all your reasons, Tony Stark always calls Tony Denozo Snuggle Bunny. Because <laughs> I didn't want to deal with the Tony Tonys. <laughs> there are too many Tonys in this pick. <laughs> but it was just, it was, it was a very persistent, um, let's go through all the Avengers, but Bruce Banner. And I was like, do you dislike Bruce or something like that? What is the matter with you? Um but it was a very persistent and pervasive trying to get me to change the pairing to something else. And I just was like, okay, well, I'll, something I'll consider. Bye. We didn't talk about it again. And I did what I wanted. <laughs> but um, 
Which, was again, I think it was, I mean, all your work that July was great, but I think that was your best one. I, I, when I, that was one I did last, and I wasn't certain about it. And when I finished, I went, oh, I just did something really good. I was really pleased with that story, and it's one of my favorites of my own work. Um, it was very emotional, um, mm-hmm. very um, intimate. It was a great story. So, Thank you. And I, I really enjoy intimacy in a story, especially when it's um, structured well. So it was um, – if I were a less confident about what I want to write – um, that session could have destroyed my passion for that story. So that's something to consider when you are brainstorming with somebody and pushing your idea is if they say they don't want it, you might be, you know, depending upon the, the confidence level of the person you're talking to, you might be just ruining their passion for what they're wanting to write. And that would be a, just a tragic shame. It creates a situation where um, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, during the last plot drift, which I, you know counts as a really big, giant brainstorming um, endeavor, um, when I did the historical AU, uh, there were several people in the chat room, and I'm not trying to point blame or you know just you know, just keep this in mind for in the future, who continued to hammer on um, plot points that I specifically said no to over and over and over again. And it got distracting, and then it got annoying, and then it got disrespectful. Um, because... <sighs> when you're... When you're moving... Th- when you're When you're creating the foundation for your story and you're deciding what you want to do with it and you're in a brainstorming situation or in that particular plot drift and you have someone who is literally not listening to you they are so invested in pushing their agenda that they are not listening to you when you say no it starts to feel Abusive, mm-hmm. and that—that's a loaded word. Um, so I was kind of—I you know, was on the fence about using it, but that's really the only way. To, no means no, people. No is not an opportunity for discussion. Xander in the chat room, she gets it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, There's no so. question about this. That's it. That's all. When when someone because sometimes as a, as an as a as an author you have sometimes have very visceral reactions to certain ideas, and like even if you can maybe intellectually go that that has potential for something else or potential for another writer, you know, like know and deep down fiber of every fiber of your being resonates. No that doesn't work for me, for this story, for whatever, for whatever reason. And sometimes you may not even know why. Sometimes you're just like, no, I would never do that, or I would never write that, or I would never use that character, no. You know, it's just you have a very strong no. And to continue to push when somebody has has had that moment, um, 
it borders on gaslighting, and Kira mentioned gaslighting um, in the topics. So, um, and gaslighting is a form of abuse, and so I think that abuse is a good um, term for it because you're trying to push their your agenda and make them doubt their perception of their no. And it, I don't need anybody to try to persuade me out of my no. It's kind of like when a man tells you you don't know what you want. Mm-hmm. Or when anybody tells you you don't know what you want. Right. Gaslighting is when um, an abusive, and it is an abuse situation, person convinces another person that their perception of events is inaccurate. Like, person A punches person B in the face and then convinces person B that they ran into person A's face. This. That everything that happened in that situation was person B's fault and person B needs to recognize that. That is um, a manipulation that happens in... um, uh, situations with narcissists specifically um, and um, abusive marriages and abusive situations with men and women um, both are capable of gaslighting it's um, a form of um, blame reassignment <laughs> so to speak Gas- <laughs> and gaslighting can be very um, it's typically referred to as an abusive tactic where you deny what people know to be true or someone knows to be true until they, until they question their own perception of things. But there also is a form of – manipulation is not all gaslighting, but there is a form of gaslighting that is a manipulative tactic. Um, I would – so like one of the examples I can think of um, that is a manipulative form of gaslighting is where the abuser becomes a victim – where they pretend like their abuse to you hurt them and you're doing it to them. And um, And fandom readers are the most likely to use this particular Mm -hmm. (laughs) form of gaslighting. How dare you not want my critique? (laughs) You hurt my feelings. Oh, my God. So this is, have you ever been in a situation where something, something bad was done to you, something, was, something you, were, you were harmed in some way, and by the end you were apologizing for what you did to the other person? You just were gaslighted. It's a very ugly thing. Some people do it. Some people do it so much, they do it without intent. It's just part of who they are. Yes. So it's sort of like they say something, they say something horrible to you, and you say, "How could you be mean to me?" And they have this huge, overinflated reaction. But oh my God, how could you be mean? Make me question my whole identity and my my role in the world. And oh my God, and they just have this complete emotional meltdown. You're going, "Oh my God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to have you have that complete, this whole whole epic thing happen just because I said I thought you were being mean." No, they were being mean, <laughs> and you just Very got gaslighted. So. so <clears throat> When they make you question your perception of something that happened to you, um, victim shaming uh, by rapists is a gaslighting thing um, where it's your fault and you're, you're hurting them by not liking what happened to you. <laughs> Excuse me? 
that's and that's almost a societal form of gaslighting um, victims. So, right. Um, and it's it's a pervasive problem in um, in fandom where um, you have um, people that you actually have no association with whatsoever feeling victimized by your behavior. And God, I hate to even bring this up, <laughs> but I think this happens a lot with big name fans. Um, that uh, situations where your behavior um, or what you do or what you write or what you produce or what friends you have um, suddenly becomes a situation where um, you're the bad guy for not including so-and-so and you don't even know who this person is. And for instance, on LiveJournal, I've got the maximum number of friends you can have on LiveJournal, which is like 2,600 or 2,500 or something like that. I don't read my friends list on LiveJournal. I, I want you to know that. I never have read it. I'm only friends with people on LiveJournal who friended me first, right? Um <sighs> Someone accused me of stalking them on LiveJournal because they were on my friends list. I didn't even know this bitch's name. I had to go look. I had to go look. To see who they were. And that was early on in my experience in fandom. And now, you know, I'm sure it's kind of like when I talked about on LiveJournal that one time where I had a nemesis in high school and I didn't even know it. Can you have a nemesis and not be aware of it? Apparently so. She thought we were mortal enemies. I forgot her name. I had to be introduced to her. And I'm not making that up. I had my sister had to introduce me because I literally forgot her name, and she was like, "How could you possibly um, uh, forgot who we who I am? We we hate each other in high school." I was like, "I don't even remember you in high school. Were we in any classes together?" And she was like, "We took AP history together," and I'm like. It was just like a total fucking mystery to me. But apparently, in her mind, we had this big giant conflict. And you're kind of going, um, yeah, the issue here is that I didn't care about you, and you apparently interpreted that as me hating you. I just didn't give a shit. You weren't worth my time. (laughs) You didn't actually exist in my sphere, so to speak. (laughs) Apathy to a lot of people is worse than hate. What do you mean? Yeah, some people would prefer to be hated than to to mm-hmm. be ignored. Yes. So in terms of um, we ran. I I care. You know about this already. Um, is either somebody tried to gaslight me out of um, Murph Trade? Uh, was it yeah. like a year and a half ago? Mm-hmm. Is they wrote me and told me that hadn't I gotten what I needed to get out of Rough Trade yet, and shouldn't I leave space for the newer writers, and um, shouldn't I move on? And um, there was this whole guilt trip about how I shouldn't be doing Rough Trade anymore, and it was like, I was like, what? Uh, 
yeah, you don't get to tell me that. Um, and I actually had a conversation with Kira about it. It was like, am I misinterpreting what Rough Trade's about? Do you really want just newbie writers? Am I, did I miss some memo because I'm newer to the to the group than some people? Um, and no, I wasn't misinterpreting anything. But that, that was a <laughs> gaslighting technique. If somebody was attempting to, to alter my perception um, manipulatively of and, and guilt me out of participating. Now, where does this come from? Is this um, this also actually kind of coincided in? Um, there is no polite way to put this. So I'm just gonna say it, and you guys are just gonna have to accept it. Okay, um, this actually kind of closely coincided with Jilly entering my inner circle of friends. Is that really offensive to say? Because that's kind of when it happened. Like when you became publicly mm-hmm. part of like our, my moderating crew, um, when you started doing, um, you were on the radio show with me. Um, and um, it's really weird to have an inner circle. I have not done any dark magic yet, but I can't rule it out. I, I'm just <laughs> saying. But this person poked at the newest member of my inner circle. Um, one of the more public members of my inner circle, um, out of, is jealousy the right word? Or is it something different? Is it something, um, resentment maybe? I don't know. It was, it was, it it was, it was just because, I think there's one one or two people who have been kind of after me for a couple years now, and they use different names and you know email addresses that go nowhere, and just little subtle digs about stuff. Um, and I don't know. It's just I I, I assumed it was I I um, I'm always willing to you know bump this stuff to the to the big name fan higher up the chain and think this had something to do with Kira. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair, but probably true. And it's it terrible. It's terrible. True. And Lady Holder it's says awful. in the chat room that um, people don't pester her. And I need to point out, Lady Holder, that you are my acknowledged best friend and everybody knows this. And if someone poked at you, I would eviscerate them. <laughs> I would demand to know their name and their fucking email and their IP address and it would be on. (laughs) But I didn't get in Jilly's business that way. I would get in yours. (laughs) I would be all up in your business. (laughs) But there's, you know, so they, it's just ugly. I don't understand it. Um, I don't understand that whole big name fan thing. Um, I, I never have. I, I never will. It's uh, it's so weird. It's so weird and embarrassing. It's genuinely embarrassing to be called a big name fan. My face is kind of red over here. I'm, I'm kind of hot in the face right now. Because it's embarrassing. What is that? <laughs> I don't even know why it's embarrassing. It's just the thing is, you know, I'm looking at this question on Tumblr. Is there a way to tell what the date of a message was on Tumblr? Um, I never answered it, but um, <laughs> thank you, Tumblr, for not making something clear. 
So there was this thing. Was it was it last April? Last April, I think. Um, and I could. I think there was this thing, and it was more of it was. It was not. I, I want to say I, this was my perception. Is this was sort of a thing of necessity, and not a thing of design. And um, which was last. I think it was last April that you you had to come back out of the challenge kind of at the last minute because you had a lot of stuff going on that was much more important. Um, and Lady Holder wasn't participating. She was very busy working on some other stuff, and she was very busy with her life. And um, I stepped in and handled a lot of the stuff um, with comment approval, with help from Cinna, um, and trying and sort of moderating the Rough Trade group um, because you had other shit to deal with. And I think there was some resentment around that. Um, and I, I know there's some people mad that... Uh, um, that people got really bitchy and entitled about the fact that you weren't you weren't participating, which was really ugly. Um, well, uh, she's dancing around it, and I appreciate that. Um, but last April, I was tested for um, leukemia, and um, I had to go through a battery of tests. Um, and I um, facing the big C again. In, in testing um, was very emotionally stressful for me. And I did withdraw from the challenge about, I guess, maybe a week and a half into it. And Jilly did me a huge favor. And it wasn't any more than that. Um, she just did me a huge solid um, in, in helping with rough trade because I was in a terrible position. In fact, the last the time before that that I was tested, um, I had a lump in a breast and I had to get a lumpectomy, um, was um, the time that I dropped completely out of fandom for about 70 days and Lady Holder lost her mind. <laughs> and I had like 400 emails waiting for me when I finally opened up my email box. And it was overwhelming. I just, I, I, I just deleted them all. I, I, I couldn't even look at them. Um, so um, I think I did very well last April not to just crawl into my bed and and cover up my head. Uh if you if you had pulled the plug on everything last April, I would have totally understood. But um you were willing to let something else happen and um I think most people were good with it and the, a lot of writers continued to participate. Some people turned into entitled little twits and some people got mad at me. And um that's just mean and obnoxious. It you know? is mean and obnoxious, and it's um, not something that I approve of <laughs> in any way. And I tend to be obnoxious sometimes. I'm aware of that. But there's a level of obnoxious that um, you don't need to um, strive for, and that would be one of them. Um, and during that particular, I had this one person who who emailed me every fucking week wanting to know when the next part of um, uh, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bomb would be posted and I, I was very blunt with him I said look I'm sick I'm getting tests done you need to leave me alone and their response was okay I won't bother you for a week or two oh I just would like to reach through the monitor and strangle that person. <laughs> Gee, how noble of you. Oh, my God, the self-sacrifice that must have taken. Did you put it on your calendar, Bug Kira? <laughs> Did you pencil that in? Time to Bug, bug Kira, Kira again? Bug Kira less for these two weeks. That'd be great. Thanks. Appreciate it. 
I was really unhappy with this person in particular. Um, it was um, it was very uh, emotional for me because I've um, cancer is prevalent in my family um, across the board. Um, I've had two different um, very close relatives die of brain cancer. Um, uh, leukemia is not off the table for me. It never will be. Bone cancer isn't off the table for me. I, I do have a condition that will eventually lead to bone cancer. Um, and that's a fact. And I have to be tested every year for the rest of my life. It's kind of like I have a bomb in my body waiting to go off. And it's bone cancer. And the fact that people would think that their fandom needs, their fic needs, their entertainment needs trumps your personal issue of any sort, but certainly a personal issue of that magnitude, is just so ugly, I almost don't know what to do with it. It was terrible. But Jilly really stepped up, and um, it pisses me off that there are people out there who um, resented her for um, stepping in and helping me out uh, because it was overwhelming for me. I couldn't concentrate. I could, I mean, you know, they'll, they'll all tell you I was, I was all over the place emotionally. I was ill-tempered. Um, the fact that they're still my friends is <laughs> more <laughs> testament to them than to me because I was abrupt. Um, I was very stressed out. Uh, I, I didn't want to talk. I was um, super moody and um, at times kind of aggressive. And um, if any of you had bitched at me about Jilly doing what she did, I would have probably kicked you out of all of my groups and banned you from my site without discussion because that's how moody I was during that during that whole procedure. It was just, um, um, yeah. <laughs> And you had every reason to be stressed. And like I said, if you had pulled the plug on Rough Trade because you needed to do that to manage the stress, it would have made complete sense. But you know, I thought it to me it was it was a it was I think it took a lot of trust to kind of let me step into the gap in some areas because there's some areas here I continue to manage. But that was for me that was partially self-interest. You know, I really get a lot out of Rough Trade, and I um, but I also wanted to see the challenge be able to for the other authors who were participating. Um, and for those of you who dropped out because Kira dropped out, you are just a nit. I'm just saying. You're pansies. You're, you're fucking pansies. You are, um, you but, are, I usually don't tell people they're doing things for the wrong reason, but you did it for the wrong reason. Well, they, there are people on Rough Trade, and this is ugly, and I'm going to say it, and it's probably going to sound a little arrogant. There are people who are on Rough Trade who post to Rough Trade just to get exposure to the amount of readers that I bring to the table. And Lady Holder brings to the table. And Jilly brings to the table. Because I don't think I didn't notice that shortly, um, the very next challenge after Jilly joined Rough Trade, um, participation almost doubled. I noticed. That's kind of weird. Assholes. <laughs> it's because we got a lot more traffic. Emergence, which was Jilly's first fic on um, Rough Trade, 
really increased the traffic profile on RT, and our membership went through the roof. I mean, we went from roughly uh, 1,800 members to a little over 4,000 by the end of that year. Um, So there are lots of writers on Rough Trade who want the exposure. And when I stopped posting because of my issues, um, they stopped posting because my readers weren't there to read their stuff. And that's kind of, um, no, that's not kind of, that is terribly insulting Mm -hmm. that you would use me that way. And it is. Authors who do that, who come to Rough Trade for the express purpose of being posted beside um, a big-name fan, you're using me. And it's not pretty. We currently have 6,129 members on Rough Trade. Um, now, my personal site. 10. That's 10,342. Do I get a prize for guessing the number of jelly beans in the jar? <laughs> I don't know, but we'll see how close you were. Let's see. 11,687. Well, I didn't go over, so, you know, I still qualify <laughs> for get the prices, like... right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's um, it's really offensive to know that to and um, I when I first started Rough Trade when it was Naked Nano, it it never occurred to me that I would attract those kinds of people, which was naive on my part. I think I, it was very naive for me to think that wouldn't be an issue, um, and when I realized it because. Um, I did get an email from someone when I didn't participate in a rough trade. Um, and I think it might have been April when I kind of mm-hmm. fell off the um, the challenge just out of stress. Um, who were They were pissed off at me because their fic wasn't getting as many hits as it was when I was posting. And, you know, that last April... A lot of people noticed that they weren't getting as much readership once Kara stopped posting. Uh, I dealt with a lot, a lot, a lot of authors who were like, what happened? What happened? It's not emotionally traumatized. No one's reading my story. <laughs> I felt like a little bit of a therapist last April. Um, I think it was <laughs> last April. It might have even been the April before, but I think it was. this was last April, right? This happened? It was, the, it was, it was April before because last April, April was – yeah, it was April before. It was last year. It was April 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I did, right. um, I did interim for 2016. Right, right. Okay, so this it was, was the year. It was the historical and uh, uh, sci-fi. I think it was the immortal the challenge. Like immortal, 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 and historical. All right. Yeah. So we had two stories: one immortal, one historical. Yeah. So that was one. And so we had we also had a lot of readership drop off um, when Kira when Kira announced she wasn't going to be posting anymore. And um, 
you know, it was uh, it was it was it was it was actually I really enjoyed that rough trade, not for any of those reasons, um, <laughs> but because um, I really I enjoyed it for the pers- from the perspective of I really have a lot of uh, admiration for the authors who who stuck it out and dealt with the fact that they were posting with no comments and kept posting and because um, you know posting into a vacuum is a little bit strange. Uh, and there were there were days like that where there was like no traffic on the site, so um, it was it was an it was an interesting month. It was a, I thought it was a growth opportunity for everybody. It was a growth opportunity for me, um, and uh, the fact that anything about that month pissed people off, you know, I'm just sitting here double birding you. Just <laughs> it, me it, too. It, it, You've got four birds bird. in your face right now. <laughs> you deserve it for being mad about anything that happened that month because. Um, you know, I was still healing from a skull fracture that month. So, you know, did anybody gave me shit? I was like, fuck you very much. I don't even remember the last two months. <laughs> screw you. Screw you a lot. Uh, it was just a very stressful situation for me. And, um, perhaps I didn't handle it as well as I could have. Um, but I, you I don't, it great, so. oh, thank you. I don't like discussing my health issues with fandom. Um, because, and this is me, this, this is all me, and I'm going to say this. I used to be a big, um, uh, this is, no, I'm not going to confess that, because that might actually lead you to information you don't need. Um, I used to be a part of a big community, a huge one, and oddly enough, my personality did have something of a cult following in that particular community as well. My husband says I have a special power, and it's terrible. <laughs> Because I do See, it tend is, to... That is your black magic. I do tend to attract a crowd, um, especially in online environments, um, with very little effort. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know why at all. I really don't. Um, and I was in this um, particular environment, and there was this person in this community who... Um, pretended to be sick. And this was like in the um, early, like late 90s when Wi-Fi really wasn't an option. You know, it it just wasn't an option in a lot of places. And um, she was pretending to post from her deathbed in the hospital, which was like impossible. It was literally impossible at that point in her life. we we barely had cell phones that weighed less than a pound, okay, <laughs> at this point, right? And um, she was, of course, faking it. And she took um, – she a lot of people invested in her emotionally, and I was one of them. And when she posted the story um, saying that she was on – she was on a message board saying she was in a hospital and um, she was dying and she was posting on her laptop, I thought to myself, oh, my God, you lying fucking whore. We're not that stupid. Some of them were that stupid, <laughs> but I was not one of them. That was just not possible at that point in time based on just technology-wise and the fact that hospitals didn't have that kind of access. You didn't have Internet access in the hospitals at that point in time. In point in time. Yeah. And if they had Internet, it was for their use only. Um. This is like 98 or 99, 
I know I'm dating myself, right? Anyways, um, and it kind of tainted me a little. And so now whenever I see somebody talking about how sick they are all the time, I wonder if they're telling me the truth. And I don't want to be that person, which is why I don't talk about being sick. Fatigue <laughs> or the uh, the probably you've got fibromyalgia crap I got recently or um, the bone cancer scare. I, I just don't talk about it because I don't want to be seen as that person who's talking about being sick for attention. Mm-hmm. Which makes me jaded, I know. <laughs> you know, I there, the story I was working on November of 2014, which was the challenge before this, uh, people periodically asked me why I didn't finish it. Why haven't you done anything with that? Why haven't you finished it? And you know the honest reason, the thing that I don't talk about, is because I don't remember it. I don't hey, remember so, it. So they're in black? No, this is 2014. This was a visionary. Um, it was my... Um, Redeeming Voldemort by Punishing Him for All Eternity story. Um, oh. Can I read that? And, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. But I only posted for – it was one of, the, one of the rare challenges that I just kind of faded out on because um, I did break my head uh, right before November, and I was, like, trying to go forward with it. Um, but by the time I was all healed and everything from that, and this is something I didn't talk about other than to people who knew me well, uh, I didn't remember I didn't remember November. I didn't remember December. Everything was just a giant big blank. I mean, not truly like in an amnesia kind of way, but like I, I, I go back and I read the sick and I go, I don't remember what I was doing. I don't remember what my intention was. I just don't remember. Um, it just all feel, and I read the writing and it doesn't feel like mine. It just feels very foreign, and so, you know, I don't. You know, when some people ask me, it's a little bit like, well, I don't ever say, because it's not something that I ever discussed in any kind of public forum about why I faded out on that story and why I kind of stopped writing for about three months. Um, it was because of chronic migraines um, related to breaking my head. And, um, you know, so it's just one of those things that I just don't get involved. I just, you know, I usually don't cross those streams of health and fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, you know, but it, Writers don't owe you explanations for why they're dropping out on something. Uh, this past November, I've had a really bad run of Novembers. I dropped out on Slytherin Black after three weeks, and I want to point out I wrote 100,000 words in that three weeks. So anybody who criticized me for stopping so writing... she more than met the fucking challenge, assholes. That's right. <laughs> it's because we had a death in the family, somebody who I was very close to. And... Um, it was very hard that I kept getting these emails from people immediately. The minute rough trade was over, minute November 30th, December 1st rolled around, I started getting emails. Are you going to keep posting? What's going on? I really thought you'd do more. That last week was really a bummer because you weren't posting. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, blah. Kiss our ass. Blah, 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 blah. Kiss my ass. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, gee, it's really a bummer that my morning is in the way of your entertainment. Um, so, it's but you think people I don't, don't always see, they see your words on the screen, but they don't always attach your humanity to your product. Mm-mm. <clears throat> and a lot of them, I know if I said that, if I said, you know, something, I'm in mourning or whatever. Um, or I, sorry, I had a major injury, they would go, oh, oh, my God. A lot of them would back off and go, oh, my God, I'm sorry, take care of yourself. But the thing is, 
I don't owe you that explanation. Right. I don't owe you that explanation. You need to just not ask. It's none of your business why I stopped writing on it. It's none of your business why. I mean, and it's really hard to explain to people. It feels weird to say to people, I didn't continue with that story because I don't remember it. I have no feel for it. It's like looking at a stranger's writing. I'd have to start over. I'm going to tell you something. About five years ago, I was taking a medication that was giving me memory issues. Um, No. God, no. It's been more than five years. See? That's what happened. It's been like a decade. It's been like a decade. Um, I would be driving somewhere and get to my loca- my to my destination and not know how I got there. Literally not remember it. And it also got to the point when I would be writing and I would step away from something that I wrote and then forget I wrote it. And I would be like, did I write that? Is that mine? So I actually got in the, to the point where I would, when I started a document, I would immediately put the header on it, title, author, Kira, <laughs> so that I would remember that it was, so that I would know that it was mine. Because there are several documents in my writer's folder that I want to believe that are mine, but I'm not quite sure they are. Oh, that's horrible. Because I used to save people's work um, that I wanted to keep in a Word document. Now, I have them all in one folder now to make ebooks with, you know, if they allow that. Um and I download ebooks from AO3, of course. Uh, and Lady Holders looked at them, and she agrees that it's probably my writing. But still, it makes me deeply uncomfortable that I don't remember writing them at all. And so I understand totally where you're coming from on that one. I'm like, I can't finish that one because I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm pretty sure I wrote it, but I'm not sure. It just, it's weird. It's like, and even if you were sure, for me, that a part of the problem is it just feels so alien. Yeah. You know? It almost is like taking somebody else's work and doing something with it, even though I know I wrote it. It was just kind of, it just feels so, oh. Um, you know, it's like, I don't know if, this, if you've ever had, like, an injury that really changed the appearance of a part of your body, and you look at it, and you're like, is that mine? <laughs> When I have my gallbladder surgery, I have a scar tissue that kind of pops up a little bit on my stomach. And every time I look at it, I think, is that me? What is that? <laughs> I keep touching it because it, it doesn't feel like it belongs where it is. It's just, it's very um, weird. Yeah, but it is strange. that particular drug, I don't take it anymore. And it was legitimately no. prescribed. It was not an illegal drug. I've only ever smoked pot once in my life, and that was in college. And that was... Quite a long time ago, and no, I'm not telling you when. <laughs> I had those issues with uh, that memory issue really bad with OxyContin when I broke my foot um, mm-hmm. when I was in my 20s. And I said, I'm never taking this stuff again because I actually think I was working the last three months or six weeks or however long it was that I was in that walking cast. But I pretty much don't remember it. <laughs> well, for me, like it was actually uh, Lunesta. I, was, um, I have insomnia uh, way back. And I was mm-hmm. taking Lunesta, and it was actually working, and I was getting sleep. And I didn't realize I was having memory problems because um, you don't remember that you forgot. Yeah, how do you remember that you forgot something? At first, right? At first, until there's I, evidence. Until there's evidence. Right. And so the day that it came to a head to me when I realized I was having a problem, I was exactly um, five minutes from home, and I got lost. I didn't know where I was. I called my husband. 
sobbing. I was so upset. And he said, what's wrong? I said, I'm lost. I don't know how to get home. And he goes, where are you? And I told him, he said, honey, you're five minutes from home. I said, you're going to have to tell me how to get home because I don't know. And um, that resulted in me having several tests, among them a CAT scan. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, my God, uh, do you have a brain tumor? How could you possibly? Is this, onset, is this early onset Alzheimer's? Do you, what's going on? Because I was, like, in my 30s, right? This doesn't make any sense to have forgotten where I was and I was five minutes from home. It was literally three turns. And that's what Lunesta did to me. And I'm not... That's people. Some people have you know reactions to medications, and it isn't. It's not like it's like, that was Lunessa's purpose. It's just that's that's what happened to me. Um, it's a very personal experience, and so I'm not saying anything bad about the drug in particular. Um, if that hadn't been a problem, it would have solved my problem because I slept like a baby with Lunesta. It was perfect, except for it was destroying my short-term memory. I had weird memory issues with Ambien, but it wasn't – I thought I was sleeping, but I, I, I really wasn't. Um, did you I, sleep uh, with Ambien? <laughs> no, I, well, I probably did. <laughs> I probably did, but the thing is, is, is I started noticing weird stuff in the morning, and the thing has kept getting weirder and weirder. So, like, at, at the height, the two weirdest incidents were when I moved the majority of my kitchen drawers into the bedroom – <laughs> and I woke up. <laughs> I woke up with an egg beater in the bed and knives and I mean like the bed is just full of kitchen utensils and I have no idea why. So my first thought is I didn't do this. Oh my god. What the hell happened last night? And um I took a while to get over that. But the next weird one was apparently I did my taxes um, in the middle of the night. I did them very wrong, but I did them. <gasps> you didn't file them, did you? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. Oh, my did. God. So I get up to this email um, this, t- this email saying that my return had been accepted from the IRS. I go, I haven't done my return. And then I go, and look, and I had. And all these papers had been reorganized on my desk. And I was like, I can't take this medication anymore. <laughs> Oh my God! Did you get a fine? No, that's none of my, that's none of my business. <laughs> well, you can refile your taxes, right? You can. I I uh, filed. I immediately filed an amendment. <sighs> but I was getting a refund either way, so I, the IRS didn't care. But it was just like, what is this? What did I do? You know, it was just very strange. But yeah, I had to stop taking that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorka says a friend of hers was on Ambien and was sleep texting her boss all the time. <laughs> I want to tell you a story about a boss and medication. Um, I get migraines. I've gotten them since I started menstruating at 13. Um, uh, and um, I had taken a, um, a uh, Imitrex, which is just a, it's, I don't know what it is. It's not an anti-inflammatory because you have to take an anti-inflammatory with an Imitrex. Um, but I've taken my Imitrex, and um, I might have taken a hydrocodone with it. <laughs> I don't really remember because my headache, my head was, it was terrible. I could barely see my head hurt so bad. Um, and, um, yeah, it's called Simitriptin. That's Imitrex, yeah. Um, it, uh, my boss called me. 
It's a it, Arlena says it's a vasodilator. Whatever the hell that is. What's a vasodilator? Do you know? Dilates the blood vessels. Okay, there you go. So I had taken um, this Imitrex and probably a narcotic pain pill. Um, my boss calls me because I had called in um, with a uh, with a migraine. I said I can't come in. I'm I can barely see. There, there's no way I can drive. Um, and he calls me and he has a question. And I don't remember this, but it was reported back to me that I told him I didn't fucking know. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Why are you calling me? And I hung up on him. And the next day, I come in and everybody in his, because it was apparently during a meeting and he'd hit the conference call button to call me to ask me this question. And so I come into the office and they're all like looking at me and my boss comes out and says, you're lucky that I knew you were stoned. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and they told me what I had said. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I said, you can't call my house when I take my medicine for my migraines. <laughs> I said, I had cussed out my own mother. <laughs> he was he was really amused, fortunately. Um, he was very amused. and um, uh, But yeah. I cussed up my boss. The things we do on drugs. It's I know, right? I said, I'm sorry. I had a migraine. He goes, I shouldn't have called you. The moment that call ended, I knew I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> I said, well, what's your question? And he was like, and he asked me the question again. And I was like, well, I really don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I really didn't fucking know. I still, as a matter of fact, don't fucking know the answer to that question. Um, but your give a fuck is broken, so you never Right, never at this point, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely broken. My, my give a fuck is definitely broken. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I think that, um, I don't know. It's weird, the relationship that I have um with readers and the expectations that they have. And um, I don't know quite what to do with them. And um, I don't know quite what to do with um, the attention that comes from my site. And um, uh, honestly, sometimes it's deeply uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, and sometimes it's lovely, you know, when someone sends me an email and tells me how much their work, my work means to them and, you know, and all that. Um, and then sometimes I encounter somebody that really should think about 10 or 15 times before they post. So serious. Mm-hmm. For instance, I don't need to know that I turn you on. I really don't need to know about the state of your panties. <laughs> I really don't need to know. <laughs> so 
that happens. I mean, the chat room is like going, huh? What? No. No, really. Yes. That happens. People really do write about site. what's going on with their panties. You can go to my site right now and read any ties that bind posts, and there will be somebody on there. Because I, I approve those comments because for whatever reason, I, they're, they're not – they're just really inappropriate. They're not anyway. Um, they're there. You can go to practically any episode ties to bind, and you will find somebody on there that has one told me they need a cigarette, two told me they're really upset because their significant other isn't home to satisfy them, three they're going to be in their bunk, <laughs> which means this is like code word for I'm gonna go wank. <laughs> I don't need to know this, and yet I do. And, you know, and sometimes I admit, when sometimes when people say certain things, like about my partner's not home to satisfy me after reading this, I want to go, oh, my God, grow a spine, use your hand. <laughs> <laughs> now, someone did actually comment on a recent story that I wrote. It might have been her secret about her boyfriend not being home, and I posted a link to a vibrator from Amazon on it. This is important I to people. Nothing. Yeah, I wouldn't regret that either. And somebody just said something in the chat that just horrifies me down to my toes and why I will never go to a con with this name ever. Is oh, my God, I see that Sorka. Fan, oh, God. That she, went, she went to a, Sorka went to a fan con and someone dropped to their knees and bowed to her. I would be like... This is not the drone you're looking for. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry on behalf of all of fandom. I apologize for your experience because I would have literally (laughs) run from the room. I wouldn't have been able to deal with that. No, no. My, My biggest nightmare and I mean no offense by this, guys. I really don't. My biggest nightmare is having a minion recognize me because of my podcast. You mean because of your voice? Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, you don't sound the same in person as you do on the phone, so there is that. <laughs> Lady Holder says she works in a call center. Oh, my God. <laughs> now... Curiously, I called my um, website host about 10 months ago because there was a problem with my site. And he's the person um, on the other end said, okay, what's your domain? And it was a guy. And he didn't say it like I did, okay? I'm not trying to imply that he was acting like a girl. He just, okay, what's your domain? And um, um, I gave him my domain, and he went, oh, are you serious? <laughs> I just, oh, no, oh, no. And over my head, I'm thinking, oh, no. I said, yes. Yes, I'm serious. I said, do you have, can you see my real name or anything? He said, no, ma'am, I can't. <laughs> I said, okay. Um, um, my site's not working. He said, yeah, I noticed. I didn't realize you were hosting with us or I'd have already fixed it. <laughs> Oh, that would be creeptastic. Very creeptastic. Mm. I, I would be like, so um, a fan, I find, yes. I need to yes, find a new he, host. He's a big fan, and I haven't changed hosts. Because um, actually, my customer service has gone through the roof. <laughs> um, 
but uh, he said um, he he was very professional throughout the entire phone call, and he um, fixed the problem, and um, he uh, he did all these little parts of his job, and at the very end, he said, "Oh my God, I love your work." <laughs> And he said, okay, you have a good day. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, that happened. Um, I was in a coffee shop in um, Atlanta, and I uh, was on my own site. And someone walked by and said, oh, my God, I love that. I love her. What are you reading right now? They had no idea it was actually me. I didn't tell them. <laughs> So oh, I'm reading well, something. I forget what I said. And um yeah. So that's my close encounter of the minion kind. But it is um for the most part I would enjoy meeting um a lot of you, but some of you not when I say you, I don't mean anybody in particular like in the chat room or who might be listening. Just there I have certain readers that I would not want to be along with in a room. <laughs> Um, and then there's one you wouldn't want to be in public with either because it would be just terribly embarrassing. I, I, mean, know. I got really bad. Oh my god! I got really bad secondhand embarrassment from Sorka's um, tale. Yeah, my about, face is still red from Sorka's story. I have to say, I'm I'm mortified on uh, your behalf. And every once in a while, I mean, the thing is, some sometimes you write a story that brings out the obsessive crazy in some people, and then you start to question your life choices. <laughs> Slytherin Black. <laughs> well, Slytherin, Slytherin Black, I was surprised that brought out so much weird, because I thought having a main, an OC and part of the main pairing would throw people off, but apparently it didn't. Um, but no, Emergence, Emergence brings out um, the, definitely the strange in some people. Um, could, I won't get into specifics. Some really great. There's there's some great. I have some wonderful fans on that story, but there has been more than a little bit of weird uh, about it too. Like you know, checking my domain registry to make sure that I have domain privacy enabled. You know, like triple checking it. Oh no! She said she was in the middle of the dealer's room. No. <laughs> I'm so I'm so horrified. I'm so horrified. Sybil says she hope it's not the dragon lovers. It could of be. Of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> now, Sybil, you obviously weren't here for my piano story. So I'm going to tell you the piano story. I once worked with somebody who played piano. He also taught piano. So for years and years and years and years, all of his students, whenever it was time to give him a present, would give him a piano. He had like hundreds of them, wood ones, stone ones, crystal ones. He had hundreds of pianos, and he was telling me about this and how much he hates pianos because of this. He actually stopped teaching because of this, and he was working with us, and we had a couple of interns working, and one of them brought him a present. And I opened it up, and he opened it up, and I looked at him, and he looked at me. Before he even pulled it out of the box, I knew it was a piano. <laughs> and it was. It was this really pretty crystal piano. In fact, that little crystal piano is sitting on my um, bookshelf because he gave it to me as soon as that intern quit. <laughs> but, it stayed, but it stayed on his desk for quite a while, and, and then he gave it to me. And so... um 
Yeah. Sometimes, you know, it's the first ten dragons were great. <laughs> A thousand dragons later. But I don't just mean, like, dragons, pictures of dragons. It's, like, I get emails every day with stuff like people have made dragon things they want to send me. Um <sighs> They have, you know, knitted a shawl with a dragon on it for you. Uh, mm, no, no. I'm not. Don't give my address out to people for starters. But um, <laughs> there's a lot of dragon paraphernalia out there that apparently was intended for me. Someone bought me. I think I don't know if they said it was a teacup or a teapot that made them think of me, and if I wanted it, they'd be happy to send it to me. And I was like, of course, it had a dragon on it. <laughs> That's the thing, but um, yeah, yeah, it was, um, yeah, mm. it, you know, it's a thing, it's, and, you know, there's probably 20, po- 20, 20 tags a week um, I get on Facebook with dragons, and some of them are lovely, uh, but as a whole, it gets overwhelming. Um, I had that problem with collars and jewelry and um, jewelry that looked like collars um, on Facebook when when I was posting heavily for ties at Vine, and I was like, oh my god, if one more fucking person tags me on a necklace that could be a collar, I'm gonna stab them one more time. <laughs> yeah, but like Elder, you have privileges other people don't. She said she was guilty of that. <laughs> Whereas I understand that Jilly gets a lot of dragons. If I saw one I thought was cute. I would probably still tag her <laughs> of the assumption that I think I'm different. <laughs> well, some people do. Some people do get to that, but also some people, um, there's going to would, would be something special about it. So, you know, I know that you have <laughs> some discernment. Um, it, it would probably involve buttercream. <laughs> it probably would involve buttercream. Uh, but, you know, it gets to the point sometimes that you're afraid to say you like something because you never know when it's, gonna result in um 200 people telling you or showing you the same thing yeah and that's not even and that's bad and that's one thing and you kind of just gotta get used to i've kind of used to just kind of um hiding a lot of the a lot of stuff or just whatever um but no it's when people start emailing me stuff because Facebook is one level of attention, but email is another level of attention. And when you start sending me photographs and email or wanting to talk about it, something related to something, or it's just it just gets to be kind of like um, your level of obsession on this is 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 beyond my threshold to tolerate. <laughs> right. We're down to ninety seconds. Um, I think that if I could give a single piece of advice to someone who's moving into a beta relationship as a beta, um, be kind and be thoughtful and ask questions instead of giving instructions. And don't be upset if they don't take your advice. True. Because it's really hard to work with a beta who has wounded feelings. <laughs> and an immense amount of butt hurt. <laughs> you guys have a great week. I will see you tomorrow. Topic currently unknown. Night, everyone. Say good night. Yeah. Yeah, good night, Jilly. <laughs>